Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to be looking at about seven verses, but we're going to look at that towards the end. But if you could just have that open. And once again, you can follow along in the notes in our church app. And what a summer has been. It's actually coming to a close. As many of you know, life groups have ended in this season. We're going to take a little break and then starting up again in September. I hope all of you signed up, and hopefully through that, you can experience more of what God is doing. And as you know, we started from the end of May. Uh, It just seems like it went by so quickly. It was the last Sunday of, almost the last Sunday, I think it was the second Sunday of, the second last Sunday of May. And we said we're going to start this whole theme and this idea with our sermon series called Goal. Because we're talking about what? You guys remember that discipleship is about relationships because we wanted to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ, to be a follower of Jesus, to be discipled by him. And that's why we talked about our, our relationship with God, our relationship with others, our relationship with accountability, and our relationship with the lost. And as we were talking about these things, we focused in on this last section on the lost and once again i want to make sure we're clear this is why we exist that's a dramatic pause so i get your attention if you are in our church and you're here just because you just love it when people serve you and it's all about hanging out then this is not the right church for you we will we want you here we love you but after a while you're going to feel very uncomfortable And I share this with a lot of love as your pastor because we're on a mission. It's God's mission. And our heart breaks for the things that break God's heart. That means that those of you who are working, there are hundreds, thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions all throughout Hong Kong in the working place that do not know Jesus Christ. On your campuses, there are hundreds and thousands, tens of thousands of students who do not know Jesus Christ. And that's why, this is why we do what we do. This is why we have life group, not just so we can have fun and go play basketball and then die next day. (laughs) Even though that's fun and it's okay to do. But the reason why we have life group, the reason why we have Sunday, the reason why we have a prayer gathering, the reason why we have harvest games, and you'll know, find out what that is if you just recently joined our church. The reason why we do life change groups, everything in our church is so that we could be part of God's mission and to reach the laws. And I've shared this many times before, but found people, find people. Because you were lost, I was lost, but God found us. And because of that joy, just like the, uh, uh, the three parables in Luke chapter 15, the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. When the owner find, found those things, they were overjoyed because we've been found. There's joy in our hearts, and we want to be able to share that with as many people as possible. We want to find those people who are lost and share about the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not into that, I'm telling you right now, you're going to start feeling uncomfortable in our church. Because that's what we're going to be doing for the rest of our lives, or however long God has called us to be here. We're, we are going to constantly do everything we can to help people experience God so God will lead us to those people who are 
who are lost. And that's why we decided to focus in on this last section and talk a little bit about apologetics. A little bit about giving a defense of why we believe in what we believe. And my other goal was we have a lot of Christians or people who go to church who are just kind of practicing atheists. What I mean by that is you're a Christian by name, but the way you live your life, you act as if God doesn't exist. Some of you, your faith is like a little child. Because you went to church all your life, but you never developed a relationship with God. So if someone asks you about things about the Bible, or they ask you about what it is that you believe, it's so difficult for you to share. The only thing you know, he came into this earth, he died on the cross, and he rose again from the dead. But you cannot articulate and give a very clear defense of why you believe in what you believe. This is the reason why there are so many people in this world that think Christians are dumb. And I agree. Because we just believe because our emotions are stirred. We had this one cool experience at a retreat. I'm not knocking those things. Those things are good. But the bottom line is you got to be able to articulate why you believe in what you believe. I don't care what school you go to or what school you came out of. Why do you believe in what you believe? Why do you say Jesus is the only way when there's so many other religions in this world? Some of us, we became a Christian because we grew up in a Christian home, a Christian background. We're second generation, third generation Christians. That doesn't mean anything. You could be a third generation car. It doesn't make you a car. You could be driving a third generation car. It doesn't make you a car. You have to place your faith in Jesus Christ. And it has to not only be intellectually understandable, but emotionally and the volition of the will. So this is why I'm so passionate about this topic, because it mixes the lost, which I believe is on the heart of God. And for me, I'm always trying to equip and train believers and never being comfortable with where they are so they can engage people with the love of Jesus Christ. That's why the first part we talked about what? This credibility. Is it credible to believe in this Bible? Last week, we talked about morality. If, does God exist? And if he is, then how can he allow suffering and evil to allow to happen in this world? And we talked about that those two can coexist at the same time. It's not a disproof for the existence of God. In fact, there are more proofs. Today, I want to close out and talk about this idea of destiny. So with questions such as, is there a heaven and hell? What's going to happen to me when I die? And this idea is, is, is Jesus really the only way? And if he is, then on what basis? And I will try to pr propose to us here and build an argument is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is literally the pillar in which our whole faith stands on. So you disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then we have nothing. And I pray this will give you more confidence, those of you who are believers here. The faith that we believe in that Jesus Christ is reasonable. And we understand it intellectually as well as we could feel it when we're in community and we make decisions to follow him and him alone. So with that, I want to just start off and I'm wondering how many of you, now this is where I need, some, I, I need you to raise your hand if you, if you can answer in the positive or in the affirmative. How many of you know what a deep fake is? A deep fake? Okay, some of you. 
Uh, those of you who don't know, a deep fake is, what's the best way? Uh, it, it is a video that is made that is edited usually by algorithms and artificial intelligence, AI, to take someone who's usually a celebrity or someone who's famous, and then you interlay that with another video of another person, and then you make it seem as if that person, the celebrity, is actually saying something, but that's not really them. It's just different pictures or video frames, stills of them. And the big problem with this is that now you can make anybody say anything in which they did not say, and you could change elections, you could change like course of democracy, if there's ever a democracy wherever you live or whatever the case may be. Um, and there's a lot of stuff that can affect even people's opinion. Just think about it. What if someone who knows how to do a deep fake decided to put your face or your picture in a video where it's a very compromising situation? Your reputation will be ruined. So the question is this. What's real and what's fake? And unless you know how to discern what's real and what's fake, it's going to affect us either in a positive way or in a negative way. So I'm going to show you this video that kind of explains what a deep, deep fake video is and some of the ramifications and how now in a lot of these governments are trying to combat these deep fake videos that are hurting a lot of people and it can even hurt the government. And so what they're doing is they're coming up with countermeasures to fight some of these fake videos. So let's watch this together, shall we? Crazy, huh? I mean, I want you to think about this for a moment. That we can actually use deep fake videos and put it on social media and you could literally change politics and the world. I was just thinking about this and I was thinking, what would have happened if Jesus lived like today? And he was trying to promote his resurrection story. What would he do? And the question that people will be asking the same way is, is this real or is this fake? Did Jesus really resurrect from the dead or is this like a fairy tale and this is a fake story that's been spread, you know, like fake news? Think about this for a moment. I want to challenge you. What is your belief about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And to some of those questions that I asked earlier. What happens to you when you die? What happens? Is there really a heaven or a hell? What will happen in hell if we don't receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior? And why is Jesus the only way to heaven? So I want to talk about these things as quickly as I could. Once again, I want to make sure that we are on the same page. I will not be able to do justice to some of these topics. Like for each point or each statement, I could literally do a three-part series. And that means that we gave you a resource that's on our church app where you can look at all the different websites if you want to dig a little bit more and study a little bit more under some of these topics. And I want to encourage you to do that. As I shared earlier, one of the biggest pillars of Christianity is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So to any of you who are atheists, to any of you who hate Christians and you want to show how stupid we are, then my challenge to you is to delve into the resurrection of Jesus Christ and disprove it. If you can disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have nothing to stand on in our faith. 
I think if the resurrection can be debunked, then there is no Christianity. Because that's where we base our whole faith on, not just the cross. Because a lot of people die. If not, all, everyone dies. Let me, let me restate that. Everyone dies, but not like the death that Jesus went through, but everyone dies. But this concept of resurrection is what makes why we believe in what we believe and the hope that we have, that we will ourselves one day be resurrected. I love what Tim Keller said in his book, The Reason for God. He writes this, If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. Wow, that was good. It's not about whether you like this Jesus, whether you like Christians, if Christians are good examples of Christianity. Those things are important, but the crux of the whole argument is simply what Jesus said and what Jesus did here on this earth, is it true or is it false? And that's the challenge that I want to put before some of us who might be either a skeptic or you're still seeking. And for those of you who are believers, I want to challenge you to be able to strengthen your faith even as you leave uh, this morning. So the question is this, did Jesus resurrect from the dead? And so we're going to close out in this last section. And I decided, let me just give one thing so that you're going to probably forget a lot of things. But let me at least give you the one thing. And the one thing is, there, uh, is this. There is no clear destination without the resurrection. There is no clear destination without the resurrection. So I'm going to go ahead and first kind of build my case. And the question is, what happens to us when we die? Secondly, I want to talk about, is Jesus the only way to heaven? Those are the two things I'm going to try to establish first. And then the last part, I'm going to talk about the proofs for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So first of all, what happens to us when we die? And secondly, is Jesus the only way to heaven? Now, one of the things that we have to do if we were going to ask this first question, answer the first question, is what's going to happen to us when we die? Is that you have to understand there are different perspectives and concepts when it comes to this life after death. And I want to look at it from different worldviews. We talked about the worldviews. If you haven't been, you weren't there for that talk, that was the first sermon that uh, Pastor Bo and I, we kind of did together so you could listen to that. So let me first address the atheists. The atheists believe pretty much that once you die, you cease to exist. That's it. And that's why there is no concept of eternal life. And the only thing that you look forward to is just death. And after death, it's pretty much that's it. That's why those of you who are atheists or you claim to be an atheist or you know an atheist, one of the saddest things about atheists is that their life is all about here and now. There's nothing after. That's why a lot of times when I meet atheists, they're a lot of times hedonistic. They're very self-centered because there is no desire that there's going to be something after you die. So that's the first view that I notice in a lot of people who don't believe that God exists. The second view is a pantheistic worldview that believes in the reincarnation, that believes that once you die, that you are going to be reincarnated. 
Now, Eastern religions such as Hinduism, New Age, uh, even Buddhism, this idea of reaching nirvana, they believe that a person goes through this endless cycle of reincarnation. Now, I'm not going to have time to go into the whole philosophy behind it, but pretty much the way you live your life here on this earth will determine how you will be reincarnated to. Some of us, because the way we live, we're going to be reincarnated into a cow or maybe a, a cheetah. Some of us, the way we live, we're going to be reincarnated as a fly, a mosquito, that you might die one day, right? So this is the concept of a pantheistic view that you are going to be reincarnated depending upon how you live your life here on this earth. And that will help you to determine your next life and what you're going to be, become. The third view is this, which are the tribal religions. And you'll see this in terms of in a lot of these different uh, areas around the world where they're run by tribes and they're more like uh, animistic cultures. And so what they believe in is that when you live your life here, and depending once again how you live your life, then you, when you die, your spirit will join with your spirits of ancestors. And we see this even in the Chinese and Confucius kind of mindset. And so either you will then be joined up with your spirits and the ancestors here on this earth, because kind of like everything is like the spirit, or in the underworld, and therefore you as a person, as you try to live your life, you could speak to those spirits, to your ancestors, or you could call upon them to either help you or to torment other people to help you in that way. Now, the Muslims, I'm not going to have time to go into all the different religions, but i just give you the major different ones so that you understand the differences. The Muslims believe in what is called the work-based mindset of what happens when we die. They believe that God is the judge of everything that we do. So therefore, all our good deeds on this earth and all our bad deeds on, these, on this earth will be put on a scale. And if you have more good deeds then bad deeds, then this will win, and therefore you will go to heaven. If you have more bad deeds than good deeds, then you will not go to heaven. Now, one of the things that I love talking to uh, Muslims about, and, you know, you gotta, I always try to find common ground. By the way, I think there are more similarities with Muslims and Christians than Muslims, or excuse me, and Christians and like a pantheistic worshiper. So I try to find common ground. We have the same Old Testament. Uh, we believe in Abraham. They believe in Jesus, that he was an actual figure here on this earth. They believe that he was a great prophet and teacher. They just don't believe that he was a son of God and that he rose again from the dead. Some of them do, but they just don't believe that he is the son of God. And so one of the things I love to do when I talk to Muslims is this. After building some relationship and I built enough trust, I said, let me ask you a question. And I'm not just asking this just to be, you know, a little sly, but I'm asking you genuinely. So I ask them this. What if, if your theology is about all the good and the bad and the God, Allah would be the one who will judge. I said, what happens if it's 50-50? I have yet to meet a Muslim who can answer that clearly and effectively. If that is your worldview, that all your good works must outweigh the bad works in order for you to go to heaven. By the way, the other way is be a martyr and you'll go directly to heaven and there will be 70 some virgins waiting for you to come. But once again, if it's 50-50, then what? And I realize for the Muslim, they do not have an answer for this. All they say is, it is up to Allah. It is in His hands. What a life where there's no assurance of salvation. 
which will feed more good works. Some of us are living like Muslims and we call ourselves Christians. That's a whole different sermon. Besides the atheists, where they don't believe in God, all the other religions are based on works and how you live here on this earth. But as I said many times before, Christianity is the only religion that says that it is not based on works and not based on your self-righteousness. There is no way you can reach up to God because you will always fall short because God is that holy and that separate from you. And the only way that you are able to even know who this God is because God came down and reached out to us. There is no other religion that can claim that. If you want to debate, make an appointment, we could talk later. Every single religion is all about doing something to reach up to God. But God says, you can't reach up to me. I'm so different. My ways are higher than your ways. Your th- my thoughts are greater than your thoughts. And that's why he sent Jesus Christ to come into this earth. Therefore, our hope as a Christian, our hope in the afterlife is based not on what not only on what God said in his word, but on Christ's resurrection. Because he rose again from the dead, we ourselves can be confident that we will, be, we will rise again after we die and spend the rest of eternity with Christ. So the resurrection of Jesus gives us a clear destination. Let me just pause here and just kind of think about the Christian faith and this life after The reason why Christians are not afraid to die is because we believe since Christ resurrected from the dead, we too, when we die, will be resurrected. Our soul and our spirit will separate from our physical body, even though our physical body will be buried or cremated, however you're going to, whatever you do with your body, but our, our soul and our spirits will spend the rest of eternity with God, in the presence of God. This is what we believe as a glorified state because our soul and spirit will be reunited with a whole new body and we will be in the presence of God and it will be glorified. Not only our bodies, but everything will be different. Listen to what it says in Revelation chapter 21, verse 3 to 5. I'm going to read it from the ESV. It says this, And I've heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear away uh, from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away, and he who was seated... On the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. He said, also he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So there will come a time when he's going to make all things new. There will be no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering. One day. How many of you love the Narnia series? Anybody? Not too many. (laughs) It's really interesting because uh, um, J.R. T- Tolkien, as he wrote some of these uh, series, and also, you know, the whole The Hobbit and all those fun stuff, uh, he, was, he was friends with uh, C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis, as he wrote some of these Narnia tales, uh, he wrote something in the book The Last Battle. And I thought it was interesting because he's trying to describe, there's a lot of allegories, there's a lot of metaphors about Jesus and about 
heaven and about sinful nature, evil. You'll see that in many of the writings uh, in some of these Narnia tales. But I want you to listen, or you could read along with me, or just in your mind, I guess, uh, as he tries to describe some of the events that transpires in the character of his story when they enter into heaven. And I thought this was such an interesting way to describe what heaven is like. He writes this in The Last Battle, C.S. Lewis. He writes this. The things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful, I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. After their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had been had only been the cover and the title page. Just try to imagine that. Everything they experienced is just the cover page and the title. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. I thought that was a great description. That what we see here on this earth is just like the title page and just the beginning. But the real story will happen when we are in the presence of God in heaven for the rest of eternity. That's what I could encourage some of you. Some of you right now might be in pain. Some of you might be going through a lot of struggles in your life. But think about it. If this is all there is in this world, what kind of life is this? No wonder so many of us turn to hedonistic things, self-centered things. We don't think about heaven. We just think about the here and now. You think about your pain. That's why you numb your pain. Some of you are going to be alcoholics if you're not careful. Those of you who don't know, in our, in our church, we, we don't try to legislate if you could drink or not. If you want to smoke a cigar or not. We're not going to legislate all that. But I will say this. That some of us who always turn to the bottle when you're stressed or when you don't have anything to do or you just want to hang out, the tendency is you're going to build a connection in your neurological pathway, and you're going to always turn to it. That's how people become alcoholics. That's where people turn to drugs, sex. That's where people turn to video games, porn. And you start making these psychological connections, and it just becomes something that you do. And you don't even think about it. It becomes a habit. And as many of you know, if you're part of our church, then it becomes an addiction, and there is no desire, even though you're trying to say, God, I don't want to do this anymore, but it overwhelms you. This is what happens when you feel like there's nothing to really live for on this earth. If this is all there is on this earth, this life, and that's it, then yeah, why don't you live it up? Why don't you go for everything you want to go for? Because you're going to die, and that's it. But if your hope is in Christ that there is something after and the life is just, the story is just beginning, then you want to obey God. You want to live for Him. And it's very clear that in the Bible that those who do not place their trust and faith in Jesus will spend the rest of eternity in hell. Rarely do you hear messages on hell nowadays in churches. But you're going to hear one now. It's a topic that no one wants to talk about because God is a God of love. He cares for you. He's compassionate. He's patient. But I always tell them, yes, that's true, but he's also holy. He's also just. 
For him to be holy and just, which is then he needs to what? Show justice. So he has to punish sin. So this concept of hell is intertwined with his character of being a holy God, a just God, even a loving God, and a sovereign God. All these things wrapped up in together. Why? Because think about this, and this will help us maybe. When you think about this idea of hell, oftentimes in Scripture, Jesus used the word, or in Bible, it says Hades. Pretty much, hell is a place where there's fire and complete separation from God. Several times, Jesus describes hell as a place of outer darkness, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is this idea of continual suffering and continual torment and anguish. Matthew chapter 13, verse 42, it says this, they will, throw, uh, they will be thrown, sorry, let me read it again. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, I think this is a good one because this describes what hell is. They will be punished with eternal destruction forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. Do you know what they do in prison? When you do something bad, it's called what? Solitary confinement when you're all alone, separated from everyone else. It breaks you. That's why I believe loneliness causes depression because you're not made to be alone. And so there will come a time, if you do not place your trust in Jesus Christ, that you will be forever separated from him in a place called hell where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's literally in anguish and torment, continual suffering because we have not trusted in Jesus Christ. Now, before you get angry and start throwing tomatoes and rocks at me, let me, let me finish my argument. So this idea of eternal separation from this eternal, from this holy and eternal God simply means you're going to be separated from all things that are good because God is good. Because he's holy and because he's just, his holiness demands punishment of sin. God is a God also of love. Therefore, he has to give us a free will to choose. It's not loving if he controls you. It will not be loving of me if I control my family members or people that I'm around. But true love releases people to make them, allow them to make decisions. And that's what God does in his love. And also in his sovereignty, listen to me carefully. In his sovereignty, he will and he has to separate evil from good. That's why Satan will be forever vanquished, forever separated when Jesus Christ comes back. And that is in his sovereign will. It is going to happen. Now you put all these things together, you realize the reality of heaven and the reality of hell, you have to believe that there will be a destination, one of those two, when you die. This is the reason why the resurrection of Jesus gives us some clarity into a destination. When you place your faith in Jesus, you will enter into eternal life instead of hell. Let me quickly answer the next two questions. The second one is this. Is Jesus the only way to heaven? 
How many of you guys have seen this picture, this first picture? Uh, we talked about this maybe that second week or the first week when we talked about different worldviews. Pretty much all these people, these six people are blind and they're touching different parts of the elephant. And because they're t- touching different parts of the elephant, some people are saying it's a rope. Some people are saying it's like a hose. Some people are saying it's a tree trunk. Some people are saying it's the wall. But they're describing different things, but it's all what? An elephant. Now, they try to make it into a cartoon and also try to apply to little kids. Hey, little kids, you know. There's six blind people, they're touching the elephant, and they're all different things. Now, there's different versions of this. There's a British version, and so, you know, a little bit of, you know, aristocrats, you know, high-class society. That's why the women are just sitting there so nicely. Hello. You know, so same idea. Now, where are we right now? We are in Asia, so there is a Chinese version that goes similar to that. Now, the question that people ask, once again, is simply, isn't all the religions pretty much the same? Why does a person have to believe in Jesus to go to heaven? This makes Christianity so intolerant. I think it's important to note that most people think that all religions are essentially the same and only superficially different. I want you to listen to that phrase. Most people who do not believe in Jesus Christ they will believe that in, in its core and as in essence that all religions are the same, but superficially different. But it's important to think about this for a moment because when you think like that, you will come to this conclusion because it's this idea of, wait a minute, every religion prays. Every religion has some kind of writings that you're supposed to obey and follow. Uh, Every religion promotes good works, doing good things. So they say in its core, it's similar, but in superficially, it's different. You call it Christianity, I call it Hinduism, I call it whatever. What I would like to propose is simply this. If you actually study the different religions, you will come to find that the opposite is true. That at its core, it's fundamentally different. And then in its superficiality, there are similarities. So what am I trying to say is that simply not all religions are the same. They are superficially a little bit different, but they are not the same. So these are the things we have to come to some conclusion on. First of all is this, what did Jesus claim? Well, in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That is almost like an exclusive claim. So one of the first things you got to do if you want to believe why is Jesus the only way is because of what he claimed. Because he is the only way. Another question you have to come to conclusion on is is what Jesus said true or false? Because what he said might be wrong. So let me just say this. Some of you heard this argument before. I think we might have given it earlier. Two plus two is? Four. There might be someone who says, no, two plus two is? They could be really sincere about it. They could really believe it, like the earth is flat. You know, they they could really, with all their hearts, really say, no, this is true. Two plus two is five. But once again, it goes against logic. Two plus two equals four. 
So the point is simply this. Is what Jesus said true or false? Whether you want to believe it or not, it doesn't make something true or false. Are you with me? Something is either true or something is false. And that will lead us now to the proofs for the resurrection of Jesus. And I'm going to go through this really quick. Some of you are like, oh, that's not enough evidence. Go check it out yourself, all right? I'm just giving you appetizer. It's like the dim sum, but not the whole thing. It's just that shrimp dumpling thing. And then you're like, I'm so hungry. Hopefully you will be. I want us to read 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to read verse 12 through 19 quickly here. And then I'm going to expound on this and help us to build some proof for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Listen to what Apostle Paul said to the people of Corinth, the believers there. He says this, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and our faith is in vain. We are, not, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testify about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those, who, uh, those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Let me tease this out a little bit and then give you the proofs for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is very clear as we look at this passage, there are some believers in the Corinthian church who really didn't believe, they believed in Jesus and his resurrection, but they did not believe that when a person dies that they will be resurrected and spend the rest of eternity with Christ. So after building the argument in verses 1 through 11, which we didn't read, he builds an argument that there is proof for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul now states his bewilderment. He is, he's just flabbergasted. He's flown. He's just thinking to himself, like, how in the world can you not believe that there's a resurrection if you believe that Jesus Christ rose again from the dead? Then in verse 13, Paul argues that if people don't believe in the resurrection of the body, which is when you die, you're going to be resurrected. He says, then the belief that Christ resurrected from the dead must be impossible. If that is the case, then their preaching would be in vain. Why are you preaching something that is false? It's making them into liars. That's what Paul is saying. Without the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of people who die, that Christianity would be a lifeless religion which will amount to nothing. That's why I want you to look at verse 14 again. In verse 14, you see the word vain. It is translated as empty glory. But there's really nothing there. If the preaching about Jesus Christ resurrecting from the dead, there's nothing there, then what are, what are we doing? More particularly, in verse 17, I want you to notice Paul arguing that if there was no resurrection, then their faith is futile. And they will still be in their sins with unforgiveness of their sins. I want you to look at the word futile. It is translated without results, empty, 
without cause, without success. Look at some of these other translations that will give you some insights to this. And I want you to read the yellow section with me. It says this in the Amplified Version. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and powerless, mere delusions. You are still in your sins and under the control of the penalty of sin. This is what it says in the Living Bible. And you are very foolish to keep on trusting God to save you. And you are still under condemnation of your sins. Are, are you getting the message? It's worthless to live this life for Christ if there is no resurrection. In fact, he says, you're a fool if you keep on trusting in God. Why go to church if there's no resurrection? Listen to the voice translation. If the anointed has not been raised from the dead, then your faith is what? Worthless and yesterday's garbage. Some of y'all need to throw away your garbage. Yesterday's garbage. You are all doomed in your sin. And the last one, the Passion Translation, it should be TPT. It says, if Christ is not alive, you are lost in your sins and your faith is a fantasy. No wonder so many people think this Christianity is a joke. Because we just haven't been able to share about the truthfulness and the validity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want you to think about this for a moment. If you put in six hours, let's say eight hours a day in studying, I'm talking to you students first. I'll come to you single adults and working people. Hold on. If you are a student and you put six hours of studying every single day, and it's a math class, and you're not really good at math, you put in all these hours of studying, and all of a sudden, you're getting a C. So you're upset. You're like, God, I started hard. So you decide to put eight hours a day. And you study, you study, and all of a sudden, at the end of the semester, you still get a C, but this time a C minus, maybe you have a D. How would you feel? It's horrible. Do we have a witness here or something? I mean, how would you feel? <laughs> horrible. All this time, all this effort, it sucks. Those of us who are working, I haven't forgot about you. Let's say you work really hard. You try to build relationships with your coworkers. You try to build collaboration. You have good relation with your manager. You always go out to eat with these guys. They have happy hours. You do all this stuff. You say no to life group, no to all this other stuff, but you say yes to work because you know that the promotion is coming up and you work your butt off. You even put OT. Yes, sir. OT, overtime. And as you're putting all these hours and all these efforts and sleepless nights because you want to present and you want to impress your boss because they are in charge of your promotion and all of a sudden you don't get promoted by someone else does. How do you feel? And these guys are like, whatever. No, you're not. This sucks. Horrible. Some of you are like, work, study, I don't care. Okay. Let's say you put at least three hours in a day in the gym. Because you want to look good. You know, you just want some stuff to come out, you know. <laughs> Got to look good. Some of us, were on a diet. You don't want to call it a healthy living. You know, so here you are, healthy living. And you say no to McDonald's, even though it calls your name all the time. But you're like... <laughs> 
nope. No ramen late at night, but especially shin ramen. You, nope, I'm not going to eat that. I'm going to the gym. I'm saying no to other stuff. And guess what? You look in the mirror, you look at the scale, nothing. And your wife or, you know, your friend, like, you look the same. <laughs> How would you feel? This sucks. This is horrible. Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? That is the word that Paul is using for futile. Our faith, what we believe in, means nothing. Here you are all these hours of doing all this stuff. Going to church, going to life group, studying the Bible, doing the soap, praying, doing... He goes, it's worthless. Meaning, it's a fantasy. And not only that, but you will still be under guilt and condemnation of your sin. So the Apostle Paul drives home this point. Listen to me carefully. This is important. In verse 18, he says, Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. He's simply saying that those people who have trusted in Jesus Christ and his resurrection now have already passed away. They will be forever separated from God. So here you are, one of your loved ones passed away as a believer in Jesus Christ. If you don't believe in the resurrection, then they themselves would be forever separated from God. You're not going to be able to see them be reunited with them. And so you're thinking to yourself, this is horrible. And here's a clincher in verse 19. This is a clinching argument. He says, if all that there is to this Christian life is just for this world, there's no resurrection, then this will be a very sad story. Can you think about all the costs that you put in as a believer, that you said no to the things of this world, You'll be an idiot. What a pathetic life you have. This kind of sounds very similar to some of what our parents say to us. It's very similar to what some of our friends say about us. Because you're putting all this time and energy into something that they don't fully understand. But the question is this, do you believe it? Listen to what the message translation says of that last verse, verse 19. If all we get out of crisis, a little inspiration for a few short years, come on, we're a pretty sorry lot. We're a sorry group of people. The Living Bible says, if being a Christian is of value to us only for this life, that's it, we are the most, what? Miserable of creatures. The contemporary English version says, if our hope in Christ is good only for this life, we are what? Worse off than anyone else. And I love the voice translation. If what we have hoped for in the anointed doesn't take us beyond this life, we are what? World class. Turn to somebody next to you and don't be a world class fool. Will you, will you just tell them? <laughs> Deserving of everyone's pity. So here we go. Is there heaven and, earth, uh, heaven and hell? Is Jesus the only way? And if we claim, yes, there is, and yes, Jesus is the only way, then the question is, then what is the proof for the resurrection? Because I just told you, if there's no resurrection, then we are the world-class fools and losers. I mean, like, is that me? <laughs> Think about it. I would not be a pastor. My goodness, I would run another company, CEO, billions of dollars. I can live at the peak and look at all you. Woo, look at them. 
drive my Italian car that ends in an I. Lamborghini, Ferrari. <laughs> you guys know Italy won the World Cup. Anyway, the Euro Cup, but what are the proofs? Some of you guys already heard it before, and I gave you a preview. I'm going to give you seven quick things. It's what the. Everyone say, what the. That is what the disciples did when they saw Jesus not there. They go, what the? And then when they saw Jesus resurrecting, coming, they go, what the? That's what happened. So here are seven things. The first thing is this. Witnesses were martyred. Here are these disciples who were cowards. Then all of a sudden, they met this resurrection Jesus, and they got so courageous that they're willing to die for their faith. Imagine how the disciples felt. The leader was now dead. They all should have ran and scattered, which they did. But because Jesus resurrected and appeared to them, that's why they were now believers for sure. And they said, we're going to follow. And they were willing to go to their death. Let me tell you this. If it was a joke, if there was no resurrection, can you imagine? Are you willing to die for something that's not true? Some might. But many of these people were tortured. They were crucified. Some of them were burned alive, skinned. They, one was captured in the uh, cave hiding, and they took him, and they skinned him alive. Some of them put into the gladiator arenas and eaten by lions. All these people who witnessed Jesus Christ in his resurrection, they all were willing to die for their faith. So either they did see the resurrected Jesus or they died for something that was a lie. I think the most important proof of the witness that was martyred was James. You guys know James? James was Jesus' brother. If you study the gospel, you realize that James thought Jesus was a fool. Because James didn't believe. But after the resurrected Jesus, his brother, <laughs> rose again from the dead, he became one of the leaders in Jerusalem. Some people say he led that church there when everyone was scattered. That he himself was willing to be martyred. Now, how many of you guys have brothers and sisters? Now, how many of you guys are like, yeah, I'll die for them? Possibly. But if you think that they're foolish and they're being dumb, you're not going to be like, I'm going to die for your dumbness or your, your stupidity. No. He must have been shocked to see his brother alive again when he thought he was surely dead. So the W is what? Witnesses were martyred. The H is historical evidence. I'm not going to go much into this because we talked about this before. All the archaeological findings that are proving that the Bible is true. So there's a recorded account of all the Gospels of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So you go ahead and look at that and you'll see that. So historical evidences are on our side that Jesus was a real person you read some of these writings even those who are not Christians who were Jewish who were Romans they all testified that there was this person named Jesus who was crucified you could read it you could research it and you'll see that so once again witnesses were martyred and there's historical evidences the a is this appearances we have to remember that there are there are the more witnesses we have the more credible the event is. Let me think of it this way. Okay, Sam, Samuel, do you have a girlfriend? <laughs> you don't. Okay. Uh, what if someone came up to me and said, Pastor, Samuel has a girlfriend, and let me just tell you, she's Miss Malaysia. 
if that person told me, which was Karen, because he wants to marry Miss Malaysia. So I said to him, I go, are you kidding me? Are you sure he's going out with Miss Malaysia? Sorry, I didn't even ask you if I could do this, but I'm doing it as a spirit. So. That's why it's not good to sit in the front row. I may just pick on you, you know? So I'm like, Karen, are you crazy? I know you're from Malaysia. I know you want to marry someone like Miss uh, Malaysia, but are you sure that Miss Malaysia is going out with Sam? Because yeah. Now, let me ask you, what is the probability of you saying, it's true? Just from Kieran. I mean, he's a nice guy. He probably won't lie. But what if, what if, what if every single person in Palu comes up to the pastor, do you know Samuel Lang is going out with Miss Malaysia? <laughs> not just one now, but now there's 10. And not only 10, there's 40. Not only 40, but there's 500 people all over Hong Kong who are saying, because he's so famous, that, he, that they're saying, did you know that Samuel is going out with Miss Malaysia? Now, many of you first cannot believe it, but the more people are witnessing it, you will then say, maybe, I, 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 need, I, need, to, I need to call him. Did you know in 40 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus appeared to over 500 people? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 5 through 8, New Living Translation says this. He was seen by Peter, so there's one. And then by the 12, there's 13 now. I didn't even mention the ladies. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, I being who? Paul, as though I have been born in the wrong time, I also saw him. And he saw him through a vision. Now listen, to be able to have all these people witness your appearance, literally, you talk to any historians, you talk to anybody with logic and philosophy, they, they will simply tell you that it would have been really hard to believe in a lie if this many witnesses have witnessed and saw the resurrected Jesus. So once again, let's go through this quickly. W is what? Come on, say this together. H, A, the T is testimony of women. Women, as you know, back in that time were second-class citizens. So therefore, their testimonies did not count in the court of law. And because of that, it would make complete, ridiculous, no-brainer sense that why in the world, if Jesus did not resurrect and you're trying to promote a lie, that you will first tell the story through women. But it was the women, as you look into the gospel, that first saw the resurrected Jesus. It was the women who actually went back to the disciples and told them that Jesus, our master, he is risen from the dead. And what did they say? Oh, you're right. Let's worship him. No. What, what happened in the Bible? Peter and John, they go, and then they ran to the tomb because they had to witness for themselves. Why in the world would you appear to women and let them be the first ones to tell the story if it's based on a joke? Because if you want to have validity and you want to spread a lie, you might as well tell men and maybe even some of these well-respected men. Maybe Luke, because he was a doctor. He was a physician. To carry a lie through women back in this time, second-class citizens, did not make sense. In fact, according to the first century Jewish historian Josephus, he says the testimony of women were so unreliable that you cannot even bring it into the Jewish court of law. 
but women were the principal witnesses of the resurrection. So once again, the W is what? Witnesses were martyred, H, historical evidences, A, appearances to over 500 people, and the T is the testimony of women, and the other T is this. So we got the what? Are you ready? The other T is transformed lives. Remember what I said? Disciples were coward. After the death of Jesus, they were scared. They ran away. But after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they were, on, they, were, they, were, they were lions. They were on fire. They were sharing the gospel wherever they went. Paul, who was so hostile. Paul, who was normally, formerly known as Saul, who was killing Christians on his way to Damascus, experiences the resurrected Jesus Christ. He goes, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And in that moment, it was almost like scales covered his eye. He was blinded. He could not see. For days, he could not see. And then God ministered to him, and then the scales fell off his eyes, and he became a believer. That's why in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 through 17, I'm going to read what he said about himself, about his testimony. He says this, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, pointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that is are in Christ uh, Christ Jesus, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I will show mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who believe on him and receive eternal life. This is just one. There's hundreds, thousands, millions, hundreds of millions, all throughout the 2000, the two millennia, you will notice lives being completely and radically transformed. We have those stories right now in our church. The lives have been transformed. They were searching after success and they realized that's an empty way of life. They turned over to the values and the things of the kingdom of God. People are willing to surrender and give up lucrative jobs to come to Hong Kong to plant a church. There are people who are willing to lay down their life. Even though they're getting older, they, they want to start a new life group at a new campus. Right here we are. We see people laying down their lives because their lives were transformed. Let me ask you, what other religion, what other experience will cause people to give their lives in that way for something that is true amazing the transformed lives and then we see the hypothesis debunked i'm not gonna each one of those takes a whole sermon i'm just gonna go through quickly there are four major ones there's one the conspiracy theory which simply says the disciples stole the body <laughs> these hypotheses always make me laugh it's really funny um well if jesus Anyway, if the disciples stole the body and they continue to lie about Jesus' appearance, do you know how many people, the, there should have been enough people, the post-resurrection Jesus, many people saw it. It wasn't just them, the 12, hey, let's lie, and that's how we're going to get away with it. But there were many people who saw. Another one is the apparent death <laughs> hypothesis. That Jesus was not completely dead. Did you ever see the Passion of the Christ? We should tell them, we should we should bring this movie way back and say, "Hey, look at this. Uh, who are you?" Right. So, you see the death on the cross. Like they don't leave them there. They break their legs so that they can't push themselves. So they will suffocate. Excruciating pain. They don't take you off until you're dead. So somehow, somehow he kind of like faked it. Ah! And then he just kind of pretended he died. He held his breath. And then they took him down, they put him in the tomb, they locked him up, and all of a sudden he's like, 
Ta-da. And then he comes, I am resurrected. There's no, no one with a clear mind would be able to agree with that. that. That's absurd. With the kind of crucifixion and the pain and death that a person will go through, especially on the cross. Another one was this, the wrong tomb theory or the hypothesis. So these women, they got lost on their way, and they're like, oh, get, uh, garden keeper, wait, what happened to the body? He goes, oh, he is not here. What are you talking about? So they found the wrong tomb. That It wasn't Jesus' tomb, which is very high, highly unlikely as well because they're the ones who buried him along with Joseph Arthemia. So you will notice that it's for them to mistake it. I mean, of course, sometimes you, if you have a car, you go to a garage, you're like, oh, is that my car? You know, or is that the right MTR? I mean, there are times we get mixed up. But this is someone's death, their tomb. Here's another one that I think is really funny. The, the hallucination hypothesis. So too many people were hallucinating because they were doing something. And they were hallucinating. Wow, there's that Jesus. You talk to anybody, what they will say is this. One person, yes, you can hallucinate. But 500 people all hallucinating at the same time? That must be some interesting air that they're breathing. I love what William Lane Craig said, you know, the philosopher, theologian. He's one of the best apologetics person right now. He said he was arguing with a, another professor at the University of California, Irvine. Now, I don't know what kind of school that is, but anyway, no, I'm kidding. So I know some of you are from there, so we love you. So anyway, here's a professor from the University of California, Irvine, who wrote his doctoral thesis on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So as he was writing this dissertation, he said, hmm, there are too many overwhelming evidence that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. So I'm going to come up with a hypothesis. You know what his hypothesis? This is no joke. William Lane Craig talks about this in different videos. He said, and when he was arguing with him, he goes, this is the hypothesis. Jesus, I kid you not. He goes, Jesus had a twin brother <laughs> that was unknown and lost. And somehow when Jesus died, he heard about that Jesus, his twin brother, he had a twin brother, and that he, so he came back and he goes, we'll switch. And he goes, I am Jesus. That is the only way you can make sense of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I know it's crazy, but this is the proof. The last, let's forget the first six one more time. W, witnesses were martyred. H, evidence. A, appearances to over 500 some people and then t testimony of women the other t the h the, these hypotheses debunked and the e the empty tomb I'm, i wish i had more time i know i don't i don't at all so you know what ah <laughs> oh, this is the plight but we need to talk about hk or Baptist U and HKU and all that stuff and have the special praise, all that. So anyway, the empty tomb. You do the research. <laughs> Let's just say this. It would be absurd if you believe that these Roman guards who are trained, highly trained, they're killers, man, to guard and protect Rome. And a lot of them, if they failed in their job, they will, get, they will be executed. That somehow they were sleeping so peacefully right in front of the tomb. It was so loud. That Peter 
and Thomas, because you know Thomas is like, I don't think we should do it. I doubt this. Let's go to work. And Peter's like, just relax. It's like walking on water. Trust me. And he's walking. <laughs> and these stones that cover the tomb are like ton, one ton. And as these guards who will get executed if they fail in the job, snoring away, sleeping, they happen to quietly, and a lot of them were up on a hill, so they had to push it up, remove the body. That's just one. There was a seal, a Roman seal. And this is the best part, if you haven't thought about this. If the body of Jesus Christ was not really resurrected, there would have been an all-out search. Just produce the body, and then this will be debunked. There is no resurrection, but they couldn't find the body. If this resurrection is true, it has a lot of ramification. C.S. Lewis, once again, in his book, Mere Christianity, said, if Christianity only means one more bit of good advice, then Christianity is of no importance. There has to there has been no lack of good evidence for the last 4,000 years. A bit more makes no difference. What he's simply saying is we don't need any more nice advice, good things. What we need is this confrontation. Is Jesus Christ a liar? Is he a lunatic? Or is he Lord? And that is the question that we have to answer. Because if he is a liar, then you can stay in your sin and be comfortable. If he was a lunatic, you don't have to believe in a crazy person. But if he's Lord, then you need to submit your life to this Jesus Christ. That's why there's no clear destination without the resurrection. Can I give you some next steps? And then I, I know we don't have life group to talk through this, but I want to encourage you to think about this. First off, map out your spiritual journey. It's amazing how you will see God is working in your life. Why did you have a Christian roommate who went to our church? Why is it that when you were in high school that something happened, you had the spiritual encounter? Why is it just recently you're feeling this greater emptiness? If you map out your spiritual journey, you realize God is working in my life. Some of you who have never trusted in Jesus Christ, maybe he is working in your life to help you to come to this moment that you will receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Another one is this. Move towards the truth by faith. Keep on seeking the truth. Remember what I said? There's a difference between a skeptic and a cynic. Some of you, I would say... Only a handful of you are true, genuine uh, skeptics. Most of you are cynics. What that simply means is this. No matter how much the truth is presented in front of you, you will not believe. Why? Because you've been hurt. I'm amazed at how many people will reject Jesus Christ because they've never dealt with their hurt in their life. It might have been another Christian. It might have been a leader. It might have been a pastor. It might have been your parents who are Christians or friends that you have that are Christian, or something happened in your life that you don't understand why God, who is such a loving God, why would he allow this to happen? And so what happens is your heart is hardened, and no matter how much evidence is presented before you, you will reject it every single time. You are hardened in your heart, and that is why only the Spirit of God can break you and to have your heart softened before God. I pray that you will be able to see Christ because he is opening your eyes. And then the third thing is maturing your faith. Every single one of us, don't be satisfied with where you are, just going to life group and church. Mature, grow, understand these things to be true. And lastly, is to make it all about Jesus. Make it all about Jesus. I pray that at the end of the day, it won't be about HMCC, it won't be about other things, but it'll be about Jesus. The Jesus that you worship, the Jesus that you believe that rose again from the dead, that you're willing to lay your whole life on. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. 
For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.